Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Just as people in different places seem to operate at different rhythms, so do different species. But that presents a mystery. What governs their varied timing? A new flurry of research suggests that cells use metabolic processes as clocks. That's next. You've learned from Quanta, now we want to learn from you. Quanta is conducting a series of surveys to better serve our audience. Take our podcast listener survey and you'll be entered to win a free Quanta book, t-shirt, or tote bag. Head to quantamag.typeform.com forward slash podcast to answer our questions, or just click on the link in the podcast description. Different species age at their own rates. Some, like the fruit fly, race to adulthood so they can reproduce before their food source disappears. Humans mature slowly over decades, in part because building a large, complex brain requires it. At the very beginning of an embryo's life, small tweaks in the timing of when and how different tissues develop can dramatically alter an organism's form a mechanism that evolution exploits in creating new species. But what sets the tempo of an organism's growth has remained a mystery. Margareta Diaz-Quadros leads research focused on developmental tempo at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Understanding developmental timing is a really fundamental question that to me is one of the most understudied areas in developmental biology. And our knowledge of what controls developmental timing has really lagged behind other areas in developmental biology. So we are coming in and we have an opportunity because it is so understudied to make some really fundamental discoveries and descriptions, which I'm really excited about. And I also think there are many labs now starting to work on this. So it's a little bit of a resurgence or renaissance mm-hmm. of interest in developmental timing. Developmental biologists have had tremendous success in identifying networks of regulatory genes that talk to one another. These are cascading systems of feedback loops that turn genes on or off at exactly the right time and place to build, let's say, an eye or a leg. But the highly conserved similarity in these gene networks among species contrasts with huge differences in their developmental timing. For example, mice and humans use the same set of genes to create neurons and build spines, yet the brain and spine of a mouse turn out quite differently than those of a human because the timing of when those genes are active is different. And it's unclear why that's so. Pierre Vanderhagen studies the evolution and development of the brain at KU Leuven in Belgium. Gene regulation does not seem to explain everything about developmental timing. This is a bit provocative because in a way in biology, everything should be explained by gene regulation directly or indirectly. New explanations for what makes life tick are emerging from innovations like advances in stem cell culture and the availability of tools to manipulate metabolism, initially developed to study cancer. These now allow researchers to chart and toy with the pace of development of early embryos and tissues in greater detail. 
In a string of papers over the past few years, including one key publication last summer, several research teams have independently converged on intriguing connections between the tempo of development, the pace of biochemical reactions, and the rates of gene expression underlying those biochemical reactions. Their findings point to a common metronome, the mitochondria, which may be the timekeeper of the cell. It sets the rhythm for a variety of developmental and biochemical processes that create and maintain life. More than a decade ago, van der Hagen did an experiment that laid the foundation for modern studies about how developmental tempo is kept. The neurobiologist was in his Belgian lab growing stem cells in petri dishes and observing how long they took to mature from cellular blank slates to full-fledged neurons connecting and communicating with others. He thought he might find clues to the origin and evolution of the human brain by comparing these mouse and human stem cells primed to become neurons. The first thing he noticed was that mouse stem cells differentiated into mature brain cells in about a week. That was more quickly than human stem cells, which took their time growing over three to four months. But would those cells develop the same way in a growing brain rather than an isolated dish? To find out, he transplanted a mouse neuron into a live mouse brain. The cell followed the same timeline as the neurons of the host mouse, differentiating after about a week. Then he tried the same thing with a human neuron, implanting it into a mouse brain. To his amazement, the human neuron kept its own time. It took nearly a year to mature, despite its rodential environment. Here's van der Hagen again. They provide us a first important answer, which is that whatever the timing mechanism is, a lot of it seems to be in the neurons themselves. The same timeline is observed in a petri dish or in the whole organism. And even if you take the cells out of the petri dish and put them in another organism, they will still keep their own timeline. Still, virtually nothing was known about the underlying cellular mechanism until a couple of years ago. Van der Hagen started thinking about where the building blocks of a neuron come from. But so when it comes to timing, well, it's really hard to find genes that change the game. So this is where we thought, how about things beyond or outside of the gene regulatory network? And we made this very simplistic reasoning that I'm a little bit ashamed of saying because it's so simplistic and it's actually wrong, I think, retrospectively. But the idea was, okay, to make neurons, you know, it's like building a super complicated building and to make such an achievement, you need some good logistics. Cells need not only energy, but a source of raw materials to grow and divide. He suspected that mitochondria might provision these building blocks. The organelles are key to a cell's growth and metabolism. They produce energy, earning them the nickname the powerhouse of the cell, and they also produce metabolites essential for constructing amino acids and nucleotides and for regulating gene expression. The classic view of mitochondria is that they don't change over a cell's lifespan. The classical view, the textbook view of mitochondria that all of us who went to biology or med school or whatever got is that they're just this nice, picturesque little sausage it's in the cell and it provides energy and maybe calcium buffering. And it's yeah. the same in every cell and that's what it does. And it used to be a bacteria and that's it. And... According to that view, why would mitochondria have anything to do with development? You know, it, it would be just 
a housekeeping organism. But when Vanderhagen and Ryohei Iwata, a postdoctoral scholar in his lab, looked more closely at developing neurons, they saw that mitochondria need time to develop as well. They reported in the journal Science that young neurons had few mitochondria, and the ones they had were fragmented and generated little energy. Then as the neurons matured, the mitochondria grew in number, size, and metabolic activity. What's more, the changes occurred faster in mice than in humans. Essentially, the system scaled. The maturation of mitochondria stayed in sync with the maturation of neurons in both species. The discovery struck Vanderhagen and Iwata as important, and it made them wonder if mitochondria could be the quiet drumbeat driving the vast differences in developmental tempo among species. One of the classic models for studying the tempo of embryonic development is the patterning of the spine. All vertebrates have a spine composed of a string of vertebral segments, but species vary in their number and size. A natural question therefore arises about the developmental mechanisms that give rise to this essential vertebrate feature and its many variations throughout the animal kingdom. In 1997, developmental biologist Olivier Pourquier, who's now at Harvard Medical School, first uncovered a molecular oscillator called a segmentation clock. It drives the mechanism that patterns the vertebrate spine. Working with chicken embryos, his research team identified the key players that are rhythmically expressed during the formation of each vertebral segment in embryonic tissue. The segmentation clock triggers oscillations of gene expression. That causes cells to fluctuate in their responsiveness to a wavefront signal that moves from head to tail. When the wavefront encounters responsive cells, a segment forms. In this way, the clock and waveform mechanism controls the periodic organization of the spine. The genes that orchestrate the segmentation clock are conserved across species, but the clock period meaning the time between two peaks in an oscillation, is not. For many years, developmental geneticists were at a loss to explain this. They didn't have the genetic tools to manipulate the clock precisely in a growing embryo. So around 2008, Pourquier started to develop methods to better dissect the mechanism in the lab. In the beginning, it sounded like total science fiction. People were doing embryoid bodies or stuff like that, and it was just a mixture of all kinds of tissue types. And the idea that you could recreate such a sophisticated behavior in vitro was really unthinkable. But the idea became more plausible over the following decade, as Pourquier's lab and others around the world learned to culture embryonic stem cells and even build organoids, like a retina, gut, or mini-brain, in a dish. Pourquier and Diaz Quadros, then his graduate student, found a way to reproduce the clock in mouse and human stem cells. In early experiments, they observed that the clock period runs about two hours in mice, whereas it takes about five hours to complete an oscillation in human cells. It was the first time anyone had identified the segmentation clock period in humans. Other labs also saw the potential of these advances in stem cell biology to tackle long-standing questions about developmental timing. In 2020, two research groups independently discovered that basic molecular processes in the cell stay on beat with the pace of development. 
One of those groups was led by Miki Ebisuya at the European Molecular Biology Laboratory in Barcelona, and the other by James Briscoe at the Francis Crick Institute in London. They published studies side-by-side -side in science. Ebisuya's team wanted to understand differences in the rate of gene expression and protein degradation that drive each clock cycle. They found that both processes worked twice as fast in mouse cells as in human ones. Briscoe looked at the early development of the spinal cord. Like the segmentation clock cycle, the neuron differentiation process, including the expression of gene sequences and the breakdown of proteins, was proportionally stretched out in humans compared to mice. Here's Briscoe on embryonic stem cells, known as ES cells. It takes two to three times longer to get to the same stage of development using human ES cells compared to mouse ES cells. And of course, thinking about this in terms of the embryo, that makes a lot of sense as well. So if you think about the equivalent stages in mouse and human development, there's also this two or threefold difference in the length of time that it takes for motor neurons to develop in human embryos compared to mouse embryos. In this case, it was as if inside each cell, a metronome was ticking away. With each swing of the pendulum, a variety of cellular processes, gene expression, protein degradation, cell differentiation, and embryonic development, all kept pace and stayed on time. But was this a general rule for all vertebrates beyond mice and humans? To find out, Ebisuya's graduate student, Jorge Lazaro, created a so-called stem cell zoo, a home to cells from a variety of mammals, including mice, rabbits, cattle, rhinoceroses, humans, and marmosets. When he reproduced the segmentation clock of each species, he saw that the speed of biochemical reactions stayed in rhythm with the segmentation clock period in every one. What's more, the clock tempos didn't scale with the animal size. Mouse cells oscillated more quickly than rhinoceros cells, but human cells oscillated more slowly than rhino cells, and marmoset cells had the slowest oscillations of all. The findings were published in Cell Stem Cell in June of 2023. They suggested that the speed of biochemical reactions could be a universal mechanism for regulating developmental time. They also pushed the bounds of an important but overlooked aspect of the central dogma of molecular biology. Here's researcher Margareta Diaz-Quadros, whom we heard from earlier. We're talking about the central dogma of molecular biology. We're talking about transcription, translation, and protein stability. And these are things that, for the longest time, everyone has thought that they are the same in all mammalian or probably all vertebrate species. But now what we're saying is that the rates, the speed of the central dogma is species specific. And I think that is quite fascinating, actually. The clock then must stem from a mechanism that sets the pace of biochemical reactions across species. Teresa Rayon wanted to uncover its origins when she watched motor neurons differentiate in her London laboratory, where she studied under Briscoe. She genetically engineered developing mouse and human neurons to express fluorescent protein, which glows brightly when excited by a laser at the right wavelength. Then she watched the introduced proteins as they degraded. 
To her surprise, the very same fluorescent proteins came apart more quickly in mouse cells than in human cells, keeping time with the neuron's development. That suggested to her that something in the intracellular environment set the tempo of degradation. Rayon now leads her own lab at the Babraham Institute in Cambridge, England. If you were to ask a biologist, you know, how do you determine the stability of a protein, they'd tell you that it's down to the sequence. However, in our case, we found that that's actually not the case. So we think that it might be the machineries that are degrading the proteins that might be playing a role. But Rayon and her group were looking in only a single cell type. If cell types in various tissues develop at different rates, would their proteins degrade at different rates too? Michael Doherty at the European Molecular Biology Laboratory in Heidelberg, Germany, was digging into that question by thinking about how temperature affects development. Many animals, from insects to fish, develop faster when reared at higher temperatures. Intriguingly, he observed that in zebrafish embryos raised in a warm environment, the developmental tempo of some cell types accelerated faster than that of others. In a preprint he posted in 2022, Doherty homed in on an explanation involving the machinery that makes and degrades proteins. Some cell types require a greater volume or more complex proteins than others. One of the things we noticed very early on is these pathways that are important for stress response are actually differentially expressed in different tissues, even during the course of normal zebrafish development. So mm -hmm. some cell types almost seem as though in, in their normal development are stressing themselves out. They're putting a load on these protein quality control mechanisms. When the temperature rises, they don't have the capacity to keep up with the higher protein needs, and so their internal clock fails to speed up and keep pace. In that sense, organisms don't maintain a single unified clock, but have many clocks for many tissues and cell types. Evolutionarily speaking, this is not a bug, but a feature. When tissues develop out of sync with one another, body parts can grow at different rates, which can lead to the evolution of diverse organisms or even new species. So far, these mechanisms across systems and scales in the developing embryo's segmentation clock, in a single developing neuron, and in more fundamental protein machinery have all continued to beat in time. Here's developmental biologist Olivier Pourquier. Pretty much everything we looked at so far scaling, which means that there is a global command for all these processes. What could this upstream control system be? Pourquier and Diaz-Quadros pondered each system could potentially affect a variety of cellular processes, and they landed on metabolism, driven by mitochondria. Mitochondria produce ATP, the energy currency of the cell, as well as a host of metabolites essential for building proteins and DNA, regulating the genome, and performing other critical processes. To test that idea, they devised genetic and pharmacological methods to speed up and then slow down the metabolic rates of their stem cells. If mitochondria were indeed setting the cellular tempo, they expected to see their experiments alter the rhythm of the segmentation clock. When they slowed down metabolism in human cells, the segmentation clock slowed too. Its period stretched from five to seven hours, and the rate of protein synthesis slowed as well. And when they sped metabolism up, the clock's oscillations accelerated too. 
It was as if they had discovered the tuning knob of the cell's internal metronome, which let them accelerate or decelerate the tempo of embryonic development. Here's Pourquier again. It's not differences in the gene regulatory architecture that explains this difference in timing. The findings were published in Nature last year. This metabolic tuning knob wasn't limited to the developing embryo. Iwata and Vanderhagen figured out how to use drugs and genetics to toy with the metabolic tempo of maturing neurons. It's a process that takes many weeks or months, unlike that of the segmentation clock, which runs for only a couple of days. When mouse neurons were compelled to generate energy more slowly, the neurons matured more slowly too. Conversely, by pharmacologically shifting human neurons toward a faster pathway, the researchers could accelerate their maturation. The findings were published in Science in January of 2023. To Vanderhagen, the conclusion of their experiments is clear. We could reduce the problem of neuronal development to mitochondria, but not just for the sake of, you know, looking at mitochondria, but because mitochondria are actually causally linked, they are upstream. And this is what I'm trying to say is, I think, an example of what I mean by mechanisms outside the gene regulatory network. Because here I'm basically saying mitochondria metabolic rate is driving developmental timing. Of course, there are hundreds of genes involved, right? So I'm not saying that we should forget about genes. Now we need to actually find out at the genetic level, how is this working? But we can really conceptualize it and also practically manipulate it at a global view. Yet even if metabolism is the upstream regulator of all other cellular processes, those differences must come back to genetic regulation. It's possible that mitochondria influence the timing of the expression of developmental genes or those involved in the machinery for making, maintaining, and recycling proteins. Vanderhagen speculates that one possibility is that metabolites from the mitochondria are essential to the process that condenses or expands folded DNA in genomes so that it can be transcribed to build proteins. He says maybe those metabolites limit the rate of transcription and globally set the pace at which gene regulatory networks are tuned on and off. But that's just one idea that needs experimental unpacking. There's also the question of what makes mitochondria tick in the first place. Diaz Quadros thinks the answer must lie in DNA. The ultimate why has to be a difference in the genome, right? Because we're talking about genetically encoded differences between species that are completely cell autonomous. So somewhere in their genome, there has to be a sequence difference between mouse and human that is encoding the difference in developmental rate. But we're unfortunately still very far from that. We still have no idea where that difference is. Finding that answer may take time. And like the mitochondrial clock, scientific progress proceeds at a tempo all its own. Arlene Santana helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Viviane Collier's full article, What Makes Life Tick? Mitochondria May Keep Time for Cells, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Explore science mysteries in the quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or your local bookstore. <music>